a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. We have had a lot of fun putting this episode together today. Yeah. Occasionally we get to speak to someone who kind of knocks our socks off. And we went a long way away overseas for this one. Yeah, we did. Um, If you've noticed, we have been featuring a lot of guests that are outside of Australia. And today's guest, Dr. Sean Tassone. Yes. Is that how he says? Yes, it is. He is a holistic gynaecologist from the States. Now, the reason we got in touch with him is because you, you're kind of well-connected all of a sudden, aren't you? Well, sometimes I might say I'm paying for friends, but um, (laughs) I'm doing a lot of work out of the US and it has led me to be able to call a great lot of health professionals friends and they're cutting edge. They're a little bit not always, but often they're just a little bit in front of what we do over here, which is mm. why I'm so excited to share some of these people with you, and Sean is no exception. Uh, my name is Sean Tassone. I'm an OBGYN uh, practicing currently in Austin, Texas, which is in America, if you didn't know. And currently I have a gynecologic-only practice, meaning I'm not delivering babies right now, but I did uh, some training about 10 years ago in integrative medicine with Andrew Weil at the University of Arizona. And I also got a PhD in the philosophy of mind-body medicine because I really like spending money. So (laughs) uh, I I have all this extra training and... um, and that's about me in a nutshell. So hang on a minute. I know Cecilia is going to love this because she just loves woo-woo mm. so much. Yeah. What is Did that? Is woo-woo. Is woo-woo. woo-woo. Like, no, woo-woo. Oh. Like, I ooga booga. <laughs> she calls it ooga booga. Mm. But we want to know, what's it mean? Is it like woo-woo meets lady parts? Like, Well, it could, I suppose. So let's say we have uh, somebody who's pregnant. And you have a doctor who is actually thinking, because I thought about doing this as a study. Uh, Let's say I'm thinking in the clinic that I want all of my patients to deliver vaginally and not by C-section. Can my thought processes, can my intention set the stage for that so that my cesarean section rate might actually go down? My belief system is that it probably would make it go down. And... um, that's kind of where I think woo-woo can meet uh, medical practice in a sense. So you're talking about um, like manifesting an idea for one of your patients and it comes together. Well, the question though is, is what if, so if you can influence somebody, which not influence in a bad way, but if you Mm. can pray for somebody or think positively for somebody about their healing, um, that also opens the door for maybe the posit- possibility of a negative aspect, like can you can you curse somebody, can you hex somebody, and so, you know, what if that person doesn't want to be prayed for or thought of in that way? So it's just, you know, it opens the door to a kind of a Pandora's box. I love it. I love it too. And actually, I'm, I might put in a few of my own anecdotes as we go along. I um, my first baby was delivered by emergency C-section. And I remember just as they were about to wheel me into surgery and I'd been in labour, I had spurious labour for four days or three days and then I was in labour for 12 hours. And the midwife that was with me said, 
I could have got you through this. And I wondered, always wondered what that was, but I think what you've just said hits the nail on the head. She was like, if we had have believed strongly enough that this was going to work out, it probably would have. Well, but here's the, here's the other thing that you have to remember. There are car accidents in the world, and when you have a car accident, I want somebody to take me to the emergency room yeah. to a trauma surgeon. If I have a cold, that's different. So there's, there's pieces... There's pieces uh, for everything, and, and we can't just negate the C-section because we have this other aspect of healing. They're all part of the same process. Mm-hmm. Mm. So good. So you have to think of it that way. Don't, let's not exclude antibiotics because no, no. <laughs> we have essential oils, right? I mean, you know, no. let's, we got to combine them. No, of course, but I think in that instance, it hadn't occurred to me that that, that we might have been able to continue because... You know, it felt like um, the doctor was saying, well, we've exhausted all the avenues and this is what's going to happen. But it was interesting that this one midwife was like, I reckon we could have done it. Mm. Like, oh, wow, okay. Mm. Mm. Here we go. I get it. I totally get it. Now, we're getting we're getting too too deep too early for my life. I know. <laughs> I have lots of questions, but I actually want to know first, what did Sean eat for breakfast? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Come on, Sean, what did you have uh, for breakfast? Because all the people want to know, you know, what... Health professionals, I got asked this last night on a Facebook Live, what is what is on your plate? And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> so come on, what was for breakfast? Well, practice what you preach. What's on my plate metaphorically or literally? Literally, so what was literal. on your plate so, for breakfast? Yeah. Well, I do the whole bulletproof coffee thing. So the coconut oil and the coffee with a little bit of butter. But because I was by myself this morning, had no kids, I did actually make an egg white omelette with a little bit of bacon in it and just I'm a sprinkle now. of cheese. So I know it's crazy, but that's how I live on the edge. Egg white omelette. Whoo, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Um, but the reason that you're asking what's on Dr. Sean's plate is because nutrition plays a big part in the way you look at treating your patients as well. Is that right? Of course. That's the probably, the problem is, and I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in America, we don't, necessarily like to consider nutrition as a huge part of health, but it's probably the biggest part of health. Mm. It's definitely something that's changing for sure. I mean, I was talking to my husband about this last night when I was thinking of some questions to ask you about. And I said, this idea that you treat the entire person rather than one little aspect of what's going on, it just, when you point it out, it seems so logical, doesn't it? Yeah, but when we are in medical school, we learn things by parts. You know, we compartmentalize. We look at the liver. We look at the heart. We look at the, you know, the vagina. Um, And we think of things in pieces, but, and that's very Cartesian. You know, Descartes, the philosopher, broke things down into that aspect. And I think medicine hasn't really evolved into the aspect that maybe, just maybe, there's this kind of, what I would consider non-locality, meaning, you know, things aren't just what we see. You know, the, uh, the, I just had dinner with, I'm not name dropping. Well, I actually am name dropping. <laughs> I on. had dinner with Deepak Chopra. Oh, yeah, I had dinner it. with Deepak Chopra, as Nat knows, yeah. and I rub her face in this every now and again. What, just but, tonight? Um, <laughs> he had bad, he had bad. <laughs> well, no, yeah, no, Deepak comes over. We have yeah. you know, tacos. Yeah, it's good. Taco, he loves tacos. Taco Tuesday <laughs> with Deepak. <laughs> tacos with Deepak. Yeah, I love it. But uh, he, a- he made this comment that about 0.001% 
of the universe is is the physical what we can see meaning the rest of it is all invisible and if you think about it that way i mean the reality is we have absolutely no idea what we're doing here i mean the energetic aspects of what we can do and 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 what this reality is we are so limited by the way that we think that to why is it so crazy to think that we could help other people by simply thinking positively or thinking good thoughts about them, you know? But there's the, there is research into this. What's the name of that? There was a research project where they um, had various, what's it called, jars of water and they, they w- with one jar they like said horrible things to it, with the next jar they prayed over it. <laughs> no, no, it's this, I have to look yeah. it up because, and when they looked at the water particles under a microscope, the shapes of the, the water particles changed in accordance to whether it was positive or negative energy that was being given to that that whatever oh, beaker or whatever of water. That's very woo-woo. Oh, there's a name. I can't think of it. Mm. I will think of no, it. No, it's a, it's a Japanese doctor yes. and I have his book somewhere on my oh. bookshelf, but I cannot find it. But yeah, it's the same, it's the same concept. So like if you think about it... Um, I would say that uh, there was a study done by the lady that helped me with, uh, that chaired my dissertation, uh, Jean Ackerberg. She did a study in Hawaii where she would put kahunas, who are spiritual healers in Hawaii, she put them in a room where they were isolated, and she put a patient in a functional um, MRI machine, which shows blood flow. When these healers would send random healing energies to these people who they didn't know, who were in a place where they didn't know, the same parts of their brain would light up at the exact same times. So, I mean, I, I, you can't discount that kind of thing. I mean, there's something to that. And you also then have to look at the flip side. So as a physician, if I tell a patient, uh, I'm sorry, you know, Mrs. Smith, you have cancer, you have six months to live, I'm I'm doing the exact opposite, right? Mm. I'm I'm committing a negative uh, energetic flow on her. So you really, I think we really have to just reassess the way that we communicate. Yes, we all need to go back to communication school because we're not taught that. It's really I have never thought about that before. Mm. But of course, if you tell somebody you've only got six months to live, well, then the expectation is put into their head straight away. Absolutely, yes. Definitely. Yeah, look, my, I've, I've, ta- I've shared this story with Nat. You know, my, my mother died 16 years ago from ovarian cancer. And when she got diagnosed with cancer and was going through chemo and everything, I, I had her uh, join a uh, support group because I thought it would be kind of nice for her to be with other people. Well, what I didn't realize until later on was that that particular support group literally asked those people to pick the date that they wanted to die. <sighs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, which gosh. is ridiculous, right? And and my mother even said, you know, most of the people in this group die close to when they the said date. they were going to die. Well, of course they did, mm. you know. Yes. So, wow. Well, you name it, and that's just you put it out there. It comes put back. it out there. I know. Can I ask you a question? No. You're a man. No. No. Are you sure? No questions. You've ended up <laughs> sure. spending a lot of time looking at lady bits, assessing lady bits, dealing with all the issues that are surrounding lady bits. How did a nice guy like you end up in this field? Well, the assumption is that I'm nice. (laughs) Um, uh, The long story, and I'll tell it in a short way, was um, initially when you're in medical school, you know, you do the rotations through all the specialties. And 
I am, I really just thought, you know, obstetrics was, was fun. You're delivering babies. You have the surgical aspects of gynecology and then you have the medical parts like you have diabetes and hypertension and things like that. But one day when I was doing my PhD, they made us do this genogram, which is where we do a three generational, Matt probably knows what a genogram is, but you did a, you do a genogram where you do a three generational, uh, study of your family. And instead of genetics, we did um, relationships. So I did this on a big poster and um, I sat back and I looked at it and every maternal bond in my family, me and my mom, my dad and his mom, you know, every maternal bond was conflicted, like every single one of them. And on this poster board, all these red lines, I, I just looked at this and it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, well, of course I went into obstetrics because I'm trying to figure out this whole maternal fetal bonding thing because my family has this genealogy of conflict with mothers. And so that's on a deeper level maybe that was unconscious, but uh, I think that's all part of it. Hmm. It's very deep. That is really deep. I just think it's an yeah, interesting thing that, it, that when I think it takes a it, special kind of somebody to be like, yes, <sighs> I am going to be okay with... yeah. Down there, uh, all yeah, the time. yeah. Like not in that way. Even know. like as a woman, going well, totally. into dealing with. But pros- I think it's actually harder as a man, surely, <laughs> because you can actually understand your parts. Whereas, mm. I don't. It's no offence, Sean, but I don't know. That's that's you know a lot. Like you know, you know how you feel. You know that if something's not quite right, but you know you know what it's like to labour, mm. go through all of that. And I think you know it's difficult for someone that hasn't ever gone through that to be able to. And I think, and I, that's a valid point. But let me throw it to you back this way: you have your one experience, right? Mm. I have the experience of thousands. So while I understand exactly what you're saying. Um, the, the flip side of that is like, even like, so let's say with hormones, well, yeah, I don't have a lot of estrogen, but I have 40,000 women. <laughs> I have 40,000 women. You have a lot of estrogen. A lot of estrogen. Yeah. Well, but I have a very feminine energy, which mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get that. So, and I'll accept it. I'm good. You know, here's the deal. It's like, you know, you guys have maybe the experience, not in necessarily your particular cases, but mm. when a guy, um, when like a husband is sitting there in the delivery room and he's freaked out or he's, you know, thinking, Oh, you know, and I've had this happen where the guy says, Hey doc, can you put an extra stitch in there for me? And it's like, no, but I can give you a bigger penis. You know, that's kind of experience. I am, I am the, I feel like I am an advocate in that sense that I have all of those stories in my head. And so I think that makes you, because there's a lot of women out there that are doctors too, that I think, project their own Mm. life stories into their patients. So like, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a patient or one of my colleagues say, oh, she's complaining about her period. Well, let me tell you, my period sucks. Well, (laughs) I don't do that because I don't have a period. Yeah, you're neutral. It's horrible. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, let's fix it, you know. Mm. Well, speaking of that, because you brought it up, you were very recently... um, did a Facebook Live where you were talking about certain professional that was an advocate for labiaplasty and do you want to talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, basically, Cecilia, if you missed it, mm-hmm. um, Sean was talking about there's someone advocating for obviously um, reconstructing Ugh. and making it look a different way, no, the no, vagina no, no. a different way no, and no, Sean no, no. had some stri- quite strong um, views which I think you'll agree with but I'll let Sean talk about it. Well, I guess the, the 
the whole point of the article was the concept of this designer vagina, you know, or as you guys in Australia would say, designer vagina, right? <laughs> so <laughs> if, is there this perfect vagina? And, you know, obviously the reality is that we, that is a human construct. So mm. my point with the article was there's this guy in the States here who's a, a surgeon, a, um, OBGYN, and he's kind of calling himself the vagina whisperer, the, you know, the... Why, the Picasso Why would he of, want to call himself that? That's, that's horrible. Yeah, the Picasso <laughs> of the pelvis, fun. the, you know, and, and he's out to create this perfect vagina. But the underlying thing that nobody's talking about is why are women having this done? What is going on? You know, what... My daughter, who's 24, I don't want her thinking that she doesn't have, let alone her legs or her breasts or whatever, but her vagina, her vulva. I mean, where do we, where do we draw the line here? Where do we say, no, enough is enough? And, and to say that his point was, well, women who've had babies, you know, there's a little bit of laxity to the vagina and maybe... Uh, reconstructive surgery will help with the sensation. Well, that's garbage because you take a, you take the vagina and you cut it and you put stitches in it. That to me, how is that going to feel better? And I think what we're doing is as men is that we're telling women that they look imperfect and we're telling them that, Oh, things look different down there after you've had a baby. And my answer is duh. And <laughs> how do we, and so I tell men this, look, if you would spend three minutes, three inches north of the vagina, you'd probably get better results. That's just all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> think, think about it. It's going to take a little while for me to figure that one out. No, three minutes north. Three, <laughs> three inches north. Oh, three inches three north. Three inches north for three north. minutes. North. Uh, right, okay. Think about Cecilia, think about it. Uh, I'm going to. All right, I'm also thinking about other <laughs> okay. questions. I, I do take like your home. point. I will. I do like your point, though about this, you know, having reconstructive surgery or like labiaplasty because I think it's a generational thing, but I've always thought that that was probably an area that people didn't look at particularly in a anyway. I want to know which women are lining themselves up, checking out each other, making uh, it like, <laughs> excuse me, what's your... Men, men are a bit different because things are on the outside and yeah. I know that that's sort of very much locker room, you know, for me circa 1984 or something, <laughs> not that I was in the locker room, oh my goodness. But but we, we, we don't do that, do we? Like, no. Have this... you ever compared yours anymore? No. I've never even really looked at it. I, I mean, how? It's awkward. It's, it's <laughs> kind of impossible to look at unless you actually have a mirror, mm. like, it's not like it's there to see. So who is, so I think you're point, right, you, you, who's setting this yes. standard? Who's asking for this? Mm. Right. It's the point. My point is, because uh, I've had numerous patients come in, they, you, like you said, you know your one vagina. It's not like you're yeah. all having book club looking at each other's <laughs> vaginas. So um, you know your one vagina and it's or your vulva. And it's like the reason that you think that is because somebody is telling you mm. that it's less than perfect. And it's, I had one girl that came in and she said, well, my boyfriend told me that my, she had a little bit of elongated skin on the top of her vulva. And she said, 
he calls it her penis, and her penis was bigger than his. And I said, you need to get a bigger boyfriend. I mean, seriously. <laughs> because she had about three inches of skin. And I said, if you're bigger than that, then, you know, you need to call I can quits. understand but, if something's, like, painful or there's something right. particularly wrong. Yeah. But just because, you know, it's not, and it's not on your face. It's not like it's your nose and it's making you uncomfortable. You're not walking around with it hanging out. Going into a shop and people noticing. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> on that, can I ask you, what are the most common things that you see in your clinic? Well, uh, in my clinic, usually um, hormonal imbalances, uh, weight, you know, weight issues, ladies that are kind of having issues with losing weight because they're in that transitional phase. Um, Things like, you know, irregular periods or pelvic pain. Um, And I also deal a lot with these little implants that actually the reason that I met Nat in the first place more than most likely was from these Escher coils uh, that I removed that are for a sterilization procedure that uh, was done for the last 10 years. So backstory. Yeah, tell us about that. I wrote an article after I saw on 60 Minutes Mm. um, a segment on the Escher um, sterilization. It's like a coil. Correct me if I'm wrong, Sean. It's like a coil that's placed in in the fallopian tube and over time tissue, scar tissue will grow to actually basically cause... Um, Close it. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's considered sterilisation for a female. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote an article on it because I was, like, outraged, as that doesn't surprise anybody. <laughs> I can often get outraged. Um, and I actually quoted Sean in the... In the in your in outrage, article. yeah, in my mm-hmm. outrage, I had no idea, you know, moved on in life, and then we did a podcast for the period party, and um, that was very interesting because we inter- interviewed Sean, and Sean actually said, actually, you wrote an article on me, <laughs> and I'm like, oh my goodness, did I? And was I kind? Yeah, and of, of course, course. Uh, yes, we were on the same team, so it was all good. But it was very interesting, and I was completely outraged by the fact that. Um, Obviously, that women were experiencing horrible ramifications as a result of these coils, and one of the things that Sean does is remove them. Correct. Right, and it's been it's been um, banned, not banned, but Bear has stopped selling it in every every country in the world except the United States. And right now, uh, yeah, I've removed about five hundred or so. Yeah, so it was um, an Australian story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a Sunday night or whatever your version of 60 Minutes, but I think it was called Sunday. Oh. And all I remember is the reporter was a very handsome gentleman <laughs> and about 6'2", and he made me feel very inferior. That's all I remember. Oh, he should have been making you feel superior. You're the one that's taking them out and Absolutely, curing the problem. Because the other thing that's happening with them, Sean, is that they migrate to other areas of the body or they don't necessarily stay in the tubes, do they? No, probably about 10% of the time when I do them, I see them either poking through the tubes, poking through the uterus. I've removed some up by the stomach, some up by the liver. I mean, yeah, they're, they can migrate. Not good. So is this a good example, though, of something coming into vogue and everybody jumps on board? Um, and, then, and then we go, oh, my gosh, we probably could have researched this a little bit yeah. better. Yeah. I mean, we were doing, in one of our other podca- podcasts, we talked about... Um, contraceptive methods and of course with IUDs these can be a problem as well so are we not learning? Okay so we have the FDA here I can't remember what you guys call it in um, Australia but as physicians we trust the Federal Drug Administration to properly vet these medical devices these procedures to because I can't possibly do that for everything you know medications and whatnot 
But we also trust that the companies that are doing these studies are, are legit. So here's the problem. If a company is doing a study on a product that they've invested millions and millions mm. of dollars in, <laughs> is putting the study forth, do you think that that study is biased or not? Of course it is. <laughs> and yet that's the study that we're doing. We don't, we don't have an independent source that, that puts these studies out. So it's, it's a flawed system. And unfortunately, in this case, women are getting injured. All right, Dr. Sean, can you please hold tight just for a minute? We're just going to take a short break and we're going to be back with more in just a sec. I'm really interested to know about what happens in your clinic and especially... um, being all the way over here in Australia, um, we do hear a lot about there being an obesity crisis in America. Is that something that you see affects women coming into your clinic, their weight? Yes. I mean, you know, well, first of all, if you want me to be in Australia, I'm sure Podcast One would probably fly me right on out there. Well, they're only human. Come on. I mean, seriously. But yeah, I mean, probably we have probably a 30 to 50% obesity problem here in America. And um, it's, it's, it's a lot of things. I think that we wear, you know, we use food as kind of a, how would you say it? We use it as a, as a reward. We use mm. it to feel better. And it's not, you know, I'm not saying that's bad or good because I've done it myself, but if you're so stressed out and you, you, you have food now that's super cheap, you know, the Americanization of the world where you have McDonald's and Burger King and all these, you know, great hamburger joints and it's 99 cent menu when an organic piece of fruit costs four ninety nine. Mm. Um, which, what are you going to choose? And it's easy and it's quick and it's calorically dense. And the problem is, is for women, obesity really raises estrogen levels. Um, it increases the risks of, you know, breast cancer and endometrial cancers, not to mention, you know, heart disease and things of that nature. So, yeah, we, we definitely have a problem with that here. It's very interesting because obviously, you know, I don't know, when I, obviously, I've been going back and forth a lot to the US mm. and it's, it is very, very different. Um, not everybody, and I'm spending time with like-minded people, so I'm not seeing a lot of that. But when I step outside of that and you're in the airport and wherever else, you're mm. like, you know, it is actually really difficult to get something that I would actually eat. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's very different. But also, you know what's interesting? Like ranch dressing. Correct. Everything is dressed. <laughs> Everything is dressed. But they, I wonder if if you guys look at our food and think, man, they're boring. But I wonder. Probably. Like I do. But I want to say something to that. I was on, um, again, that Facebook Live that I did. Yeah. And it was very interesting because someone asked what I ate, like I said. And I went through, you know, um, what I would eat. And it changes from day to day. But I don't really obsess about food. Once upon a time, I did. Mm. I used to be very obsessed. If I didn't have a snack in my bag, I would freak out. <laughs> I would. I would yeah. freak out. I was, And obviously, my insulin was all over the shop. Um, whereas now, it doesn't worry me. I can go hours upon hours upon hours. It doesn't matter. Um, I eat a lot of fat. And people, the questions that I got on Facebook Live, the majority were around that. People could not get past the fact that I could go without food for a period of time and be okay with it. And I'm like, why are we so obsessed about this? Yeah. So here's the thing. For women, there's this, uh, there's something called crescendo fasting that I think is really good. Um, and it's really good for hormones. It's really good for weight. And crescendo fasting is when maybe two or three times a week at the most. If you were to go, say, 14 to 16 hours without eating, so uh, stop eating at maybe 6 or 7 o'clock at night, 
and don't eat again until 10 to 12 o'clock the next day. It's actually really good for your body to undergo that fasting. The problem is, is that when you fast, your body goes into, we're, we're programmed to fast. Our bodies haven't evolved to the point where years and years ago we didn't have any food, right? A thousand years ago we, we starved to death. And so our bodies are made to store fat. Well, because we have so much abundant food, our bodies haven't adjusted to that. So we store fat. So if you could crescendo fast, which is exactly what you were doing and you're doing now, because you're eating more fat, which is what your brain would prefer as a fuel source, then you don't feel the need for food and it's okay. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, we've been conditioned to think it's bad. Like, if you don't eat breakfast, and I used to say this to my patients, if you don't, mm. you need to eat breakfast. It's not okay for your hormones. Now they come in and they're like, I don't really like breakfast. I'm like, oh, that's okay. Um, let's just make it. <laughs> let's just make it roughly 16 hours from your last meal, and then just carry on as you were. And I know for a lot of women, especially when those that have issues with insulin resistance, so those with PCOS, um, you know, your cells are most sensitive to insulin after a period of fasting. So it's a really good idea if you do have issues or even for some that have diabetes have had, you know, excellent results with this is that your cells are then more ready to be able to utilise that. And then rather than it sitting outside of your cells where it causes havoc with Mm. androgens and all sorts of things, then your body can actually utilise it. So it, it can be, and I would say, you know, you always want to get the advice of a healthcare professional, but this can be a game changer. It has been for a lot of my patients in terms of um, helping them take charge of their hormones. For me, I mean, you can testify to this. When you do that, when you, you, you made the comment, when you don't eat, your reward system isn't necessarily just restricted to food. I mean, you don't need to reward yourself with the food. You, you, you eat to survive. You don't eat to feel good. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that's where I think you are when you talk about that is like, you're not eating because you, you feel crappy today because it's Monday or whatever. You're, you're eating because you, you need to eat because your body's telling you to. Whereas I think in, in a lot of our culture right now, we eat as a social activity. We eat yeah. Um, because we feel, you know, gross and we want to feel better and, and carbs make us feel good. And, and so I think what you're making a testimony to is that you've just progressed to the point where you just feel good about yourself and you don't necessarily eat to feel better. You eat to survive. How do we change people's ideas on this, though? Like, if we talk about the fact that there are a lot of overweight people and you've got to get to the cause of why they're overweight before you can, you know assess what else is going on. I've got a friend who's a GP here in Australia and she was saying that just recently she has so many patients, a lot of men that come and they will say, you know, I'm feeling unwell, I'm overweight, all these things. And when she boils it down, they don't eat anything wholesome. They don't eat fruit and Mm. vegetables. They have a diet that's like, you know, fast food or just meat and potatoes and things like that. And she says, all you need to do is eat some grapes. And they're like, oh, no, I want a pill. (laughs) <laughs> That's not going to fix it. We love the pill. Bad for it. Whatever a pill it is, going to fix it. Isn't that right, Sean? Like you just take a pill and it fixes it. Of course. I mean, <laughs> who doesn't want that? We all want that because it's but easy. I think, right, and and you know that you make a good point. But the thing is, is I can't because I I hear the same thing. I'm eating right. I'm exercising all the time, and I can't lose weight. Majority of the time, that's probably not true. Absolutely. If you, I I have a. I bought a food scale, a little digital food scale for my house, and I went by my peanut jar one day, and I grabbed a handful of peanuts, which 
per serving is like 170 calories. So I thought one day, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and weigh this. So I weighed the peanuts, and it was actually three servings. So <laughs> because I was taking a big old ass bite of peanuts. And so, and so I was actually eating about 500 calories worth of peanuts when I thought I was eating 170. We underestimate what we mm. eat. We often, we, we just don't, we don't feel, we overestimate the caloric burning that we're doing. We think, oh, we walked or we jogged 10 miles when we jogged like a half a mile. <laughs> and the reality is people don't want to do the work and that's fine. I mean, I've learned as a physician that when people want to quit smoking, they're going to quit it. But if me, me telling them to quit, it's just not going to do the job. You have to be emotionally and, 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 and psychologically ready to do it, or you're just not going to do it. And we all reach that point at a certain time. You know, I mean, it's different. Mm, absolutely. I think it's interesting because I think we all know a person that is in that situation, either as a smoker or a drinker or, you know, diet, and they have health problems, like someone close to us, and you think, well, I can see, I can see what the problem is. I'm not a health professional. But it, it, like you say, it has to come up to the individual to be ready to approach that and change things, I suppose, to, to change what's happening. Yeah, it's personal accountability. I will tell you, my doctor, I just saw my doctor today. He hates me. Um, be, because, <laughs> a lot of pressure sitting you. He's like, oh. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm a horrible patient. And, and, and so uh, about six months ago, he said to me, um, you know, you need to lose weight. And I was like, well, piss off. You know, I can say that in Australia. And so I said it, and I said it in a different way, but that's what I said. And so he's like, no, seriously, you need to eat less carbs, you need to move your body, and blah, blah, blah. So I went back to see him today. It's about, what, four or five months later, and I lost 25 pounds, and I'll tell you why. Because I got mad, and I was like, you know what, damn it, he's right. I hate the fact that he's right, but I'm not going to do it anymore. And I really just became dedicated to my health and I felt like a hypocrite. Like I'm telling people to do all these things and I'm not doing it myself. And, and that was kind of, I've waffled, you know, I've upped and down yo-yoed before on my way, but this is it. I really feel confident now that I've gotten to a point where I get it. I feel it. I I'm owning it and I want to be healthy, but it took me 50 years, you know? I love this. I love this topic, but I want to change direction if I might because we are running out of time. I really want to talk quickly. Two more things. Can we just talk quickly about fibroids? I have so many mm. women in the clinic. Let me do that again. I have so many women in the clinic who are at the mercy of fibroids. I get asked all the time, what's the best thing to do? Um, what, how do you treat them? I know it's a hard question. what are they? Oh, well, what are they? Well, so fibroids come from one cell of the uterus, so a teeny tiny little cell from the uterus can turn into a fibroid. Yeah. So fibroids tend to be these, if you look at a tree and you see like a muscular knot in the tree, like a, or a knot in the tree, that's kind of what a fibroid is. So you get these muscular knots in the uterus and they come from one little cell and they can get as big as, gosh, you know, I've seen uh, uteri that are you know, six months pregnant with just full of mm. uh, fibroids, mm. they cause pain, they cause bleeding. In the United States, they're the number one reason for hysterectomy um, because they can cause problems. And the, the, the reality is we don't know what causes them, but we think they, they, they kind of travel in families. 
they're probably estrogen dominant situations because they do respond to estrogen. So as long as women have estrogen in their bodies, they're, they're going to stimulate those fibroids. But if you have a supercharged amount of estrogen in your body, then you're really going to be stimulating those fibroids. So uh, they're very common. Probably 50% of women, 30 to 50% of women worldwide have fibroids. So they're very common. Love it. Can I ask just quickly on that? Um, so the supercharged estrogen, is that then related to something like PCOS? Like why would you be supercharged with estrogen that could be causing the fibroids? Yes, of course. Es- PCOS is a huge, <laughs> huge reason. Um, you know, Nat's probably estrogen dominant because she's doing two things at once. Yes. But most people are uh, estrogen dominant. PCOS can cause estrogen dominance for sure. That's what it is. It is estrogen dominant. Or estrogen But things like obesity, where you, and when I say estrogen dominance, I mean estrogen in relation to progesterone. Mm. So I, I like to see if, if we have a blood draw an estrogen to progesterone ratio of about 10 to 1. In estrogen dominance, I see women 100 to 1, 1,000 to 1. Um, you know, it, it causes irregular bleeding, bloating, water retention, high blood pressure, uh, irregular bleeding, all kinds of things. And so these women are, you know, obesity because fat cells produce estrogen. Uh-huh. They convert testosterone to estrogen. And so we're also consuming exogenous estrogens in our beef, in our, um, you know, in, in the plastics. You know, we eat too many sometimes isoflavones like soy and things of that nature. So estrogen dominance, if, if I were to test 100 women for hormone imbalances, probably 80% would be estrogen dominant. That's really interesting. So um, then how do you know if you're just Joe, I was going to say Joe Blow, but no, Lady Joe Blow walking around. <laughs> How do you know if your hormones are imbalanced? That maybe you know what? What are the signs? Because um, well, hang I, on, back up a second. Can I ask a question, Sean? That I think will explain <laughs> this a little bit better or Thanks. help women. Go on, sure. Sean. Talk a little bit. I know we're out of time, so can you talk a little bit about the Shines method? Because I think that that's going to give people answers or somewhere at least that they can go to find out if mm. they think that their hormones are imbalanced or that they're just curious to see what their signs and symptoms might be yes. telling. Yes. So the Shines method is just a six-step protocol that I've come up with over the last 15 years on how to help with. I have the 12. I have 12 common hormone imbalances that I'm going to have a quiz for coming up. Actually, that you Ooh. can find your imbalance. Like yes, it's, it's magical. It's magical. <laughs> and um, the Shines method is an acronym. So you have spiritual practice. You have hormones. Infoceuticals, which include things like acupuncture, which Nat would know, and um, essential oils. You have nutrition, you have exercise, and you have supplementation. So let's say with estrogen dominance. If I tell a patient she has estrogen dominance, they kind of look at me like they have no idea what I'm talking (laughs) about, which is the story of my life. But if you tell them, look, the story of estrogen dominance is the story of the queen, which the queen is the ultimate female driven hormone. She can be off with their heads. She can be benevolent. She goes in between, you know, ripping people to shreds and loving people. She, um, she's you know, out of control, right? And that's how estrogen dominance can make you feel. A spiritual practice for a queen is to surround herself with people that are supportive, that are good advisors, that want to take care of her, that want her to do well. Um, and that could be family, that could be friends. Um, just, to, you know, there's different ways to, to do that as far as a spiritual practice. And so th- there's six steps to each process. And I think that 
they're all individualized, but it's just a matter of self-care really. And that's my main thing is you don't always have to go to the doctor. As a matter of fact, I hate to say this because I put myself out of business, but you hardly ever need to go to the doctor. Um, if you, I, ju I just wrote an article on eating your way through menopause. Most of the time we can, we can eat ourselves kind of into a healthier state. That's fantastic. This is always my line. Mm. He's stolen my food line. Food is medicine. No, not food is no, medicine. No, you can't take my not line. Food is That's medicine. my line. It's, I always say it's not what you do at the doctor's office. It's what you do when you leave. Or before you go. I yeah. think I think you got that from me, actually. <laughs> not sure about that. <laughs> so much competition okay. in the room. We could keep on talking and maybe we need to have another whole podcast on estrogen dominance alone. But for those people who do want to check out more of Dr. Sean's work, we'll mm -hmm. make sure that in the show notes that I put that there. Um, otherwise, you can find him, Sean, your website. Uh, www.dr, as in D-R, Sean, S-H-A-W-N-T-A-S-S-O-N-E, drshantetzone.com. And I guess for our Australian listeners, which is going to be the majority, um, if they get in touch oh, with no, you... Oh, no, we are global, baby. What are you talking about? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> if people get in touch with you, you have you got a facility to do some chat back and forth? Or, I mean, we can yes, do this. Yes, I do... Uh, Currently, I do online visits, so uh -huh. anybody that I wouldn't be able to prescribe, but I could certainly come up with a plan to help out and right. come up with some information for you. And the quiz that I talked about will be on uh, www.whatsyourhormonetype.com, and Matt has already taken it, and it said crazy lady. <laughs> come on. We already knew that. I'm not crazy. Yes, we did. Yeah. I'm, f I'm yeah. far less crazy now that I intermittent fast. Well, mm -hmm. this is true. And, oh, that's true. And now you that you do. know what your hormone dominance is, but you well. probably actually are one of the only women walking around who knew that anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, all good. Sean, thank you so Can't much wait. for taking time out to chat with us today. We thoroughly have enjoyed You're it. Welcome. It's been great. Anytime. We actually ran out of time. With Dr. Sean, because I had a whole lot of other questions to ask, especially about menopause and perimenopause. I think we need to get him back at some point. I think we do. Oh, well, that's a good excuse. Absolutely. <laughs> totally. If you have any suggestions of what you would like to hear in one of our episodes of The Wellness Collective, please get in touch. Info at natkringudis.com. And of course, if you like what you've heard today, please don't forget to take a couple of seconds to rate us. That mm -hmm. helps us keep on doing what we're doing. And we'd love to hear your reviews as well. So Absolutely. just take a few minutes and do that for us that'd be so appreciated thanks for being part of our wellness collective community and we hope that after today's episode you're feeling a little bit happier healthier and better 